Now that we've had an intermission, uh, let's jump back into this. Intermission, yeah, like 30 seconds in. All right. So, we're talking about trust night, and I'm going to tell you a story about two brothers, all right? Some of you guys will catch on to who these brothers are uh, pretty quickly, but I, I figured it would be a good idea to just tell you the story instead of reading it, because it goes, uh, it's a very long story, okay? So, there were two brothers um, who had a, uh, obviously, a mother and father, that's normal, okay? Um, two brothers that uh, they had a mother and father, they were twins, and, and they had a prophecy prophesied over them um, by, by God um, that there would be two nations that would come from these two brothers, okay? And that when they come out, um, they, would, they, would, uh, they would be at odds with one another and that the older would serve the younger. And, and it's not normal for the older brother to serve the younger brother, but that was the prophecy. And so what happens is, is that their mom goes into labor and as they are uh, coming out, obviously, as twins, one comes out first, another one comes out second, um, this hairy, like red um, baby comes out, okay? His name was Esau. And then after him um, was another baby that came out that, was, that wasn't hairy um, and that was smooth. Um, he ended up being a man-child later. Um, his name was Jacob. And he came out, oh, wait, rewind, rewind. Yeah, 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 that's right. Okay, so he came out and Jacob was literally grasping the, hand, the heel of Esau, okay? Like trying to pull him back in so that he could come out first, so that he could be the firstborn, okay? Like crazy, right? And so they come out, and there's this prophecy that's prophesied over them. Now, what would be normal is that Esau would eventually gain um, twice the inheritance as Jacob. Um, he would get the blessing from his father, Isaac. He would get a whole lot of responsibility whenever the time was to come. And so, so he is looking forward to this. Well, Esau um, grew up, and he was a hairy dude. He was like burly. He was a hunter. Who in here hunts? Okay, hunter hunts. Uh, hunter's a hunter. Okay, yeah, anyways. Um, so, thank you. Uh, so, he was a hunter. He was an outdoorsman. And his dad, Isaac, loved him. His dad, Isaac, thought he was super cool. And he really liked it whenever he went out and caught game and brought it back and cooked it for him. And Isaac favored Esau. Um, but, but Rebecca... The mom favored Jacob, okay? And so she, he was like a mama's boy, all right? He was like, like mama's boy, he stays at home. His mom basically told him what to do. And he was like, yes, mother. Um, and so, so his brother's going out, doing his thing, and then Jacob's staying at home, um, doing his thing, you know, kind of being like a little homemaker. And his mom decides that, that she wants Jacob to be blessed over Esau. Well, let me rewind. One time Esau goes out on a hunt, who knows how long he was out. He comes back and he's really hungry. I was really hungry tonight. I was asking for everybody's leftovers. But this dude was like crazy hungry, okay? He was wanting some food, like quick. And he comes back and because Jacob was such a good cook, um, he was making some lentil soup. Anybody ever try some lentil soup? I have. It's, it's, a, it's okay. It's like split pea type of stuff. Yeah. Anyways, um, so, uh, so Jacob's making this soup and he comes in and he's like, give me some of that soup, bro. Okay, I've been out in the field, or not out in the field, but out hunting animals, and maybe he didn't catch anything, and he was just famished. Comes back in, and so Jacob takes this as an opportunity. He says, eh, I'll give you some soup if you'll give me your birthright. Right. It's pretty ridiculous, okay? What's even more ridiculous is his brother agreed. He said, okay, fine, like just give me some soup. Like I'm hungry, okay? And so Jacob, in that moment, makes a transaction where he got his inheritance, just takes it, okay? Obviously, it hasn't been given to him yet, but that he'll eventually take his inheritance. 
And so, so, um, so there's this moment where he steals his birthright, and so you see the prophecy kind of coming true, right? So then later, um, Isaac gets really old, he gets blind, um, <laughs> he gets blind. He, he, he can't see very well, um, and so, so Jacob and his mom come up with this plan uh, because Isaac was about to bless Esau, okay? And this blessing meant way more than like, yes, my son, you're, you're a good person and you're going to be a great person. Like, these blessings were extremely significant. They were like pronouncing a prophecy over that person, and it was a, a blessing between them and the person that was pronouncing it and God. And so when they pronounced that blessing, it was, it was, it was like a covenant was being made. And so it's a big deal. And so Isaac knows that his time's coming to an end, and he's like, go out, kill yourself an animal, because I really like your game that you get. Come back, cook me something, and then I'm going to give my blessings, because I don't know how much longer I have. And so Esau's like, okay, I can do that. He's already given up his inheritance. At least he can get his blessing. He goes out, he starts hunting, um, and Jacob and Rebekah, um, well, Rebecca comes to Jacob, and she's like, you need to go in there and fake like you're Esau so that he'll bless you. And so he was like, but mom, I'm a man-child. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, okay? Like, I'm just assuming he's a man-child because he had to put goat skin hair on his arms um, and on his hands so that his dad would think that he was Esau. So if he touched his arms, it wouldn't be like, oh, so silky smooth, you're Jacob, okay? So the, she puts hair on his arms, and then she cooks something that probably um, Isaac, did I say Jacob? Yeah, okay. Isaac... Um, would have liked, and so she gives him that. She puts Esau's clothes on Jacob so that he would smell it and be like, oh, that's, a, that's an outdoorsman, right? It's not some, some guy that stays inside. That's a man's man, right? Okay, that's my son Esau. And so you see this scene where he comes in, and Esau kind of questions, and you can tell that he, or not Esau, um, Isaac kind of questions um, and wonders, like, is this actually Esau? And then eventually gets convinced that it is, um, and he gives him his blessing. And it says that just... After Jacob leaves, Esau comes in, and he's got his game prepared, and he's saying, here you go, dad. And then his dad shakes violently because he realizes what had happened. Like, he was, he was furious. And, and, and it, then Esau begins to beg him, crying like, please bless me. Surely you have some sort of blessing that you can bless me with. And then he, he gets so angry, Esau, because he's not only had his inheritance deceptively taken from him, now he had legitimate deception of his dad to take the blessing as well. And so Esau says, my dad's about to die, and when he does, I'm going to kill my brother, and I'll get my inheritance. And so Rebecca catches wind of this, and she warns Jacob, and she says, you need to get out of town. Your brother's going to kill you. And so Jacob gets his stuff, and he bolts, okay? And he goes to, um, his, he goes to Laban, um, and... And so he goes and um, tries to run away from this problem. Now, we need to press the pause button for a second. Because deception and dishonesty and breaking of trust got them to the place where we are, we are at in the story right now. You guys see that? That Jacob was deceptive in, in like, hey, give me your inheritance for a bowl of soup. Now, Esau was not bright enough in that moment to say, well, that's ridiculous, I'm not going to do that. He still gave him um, the soup and gave him the inheritance. But... He deceptively takes that from him, and then he deceives his father and gets the blessings as well, and then he runs, runs from town. And so he broke trust with his brother. He broke trust with his dad. The only person that maybe he hasn't broken trust with at this point is Rebecca, but Rebecca has even been deceptive to her own husband and her other son. And so you see the deception just over and over and over again. In fact, if you go back 
in the story and look at Isaac and Jacob and Abraham and Sarah, there was deception that they used constantly when they went to other countries. They would say, hey, this is my, my sister, not my wife, because I'm fearful that you're going to kill me for my 150-year-old wife, which when you're reading it, I'm like, come on, son. Like, But the Egyptians found Sarah attractive. I don't know if she's actually 150 at that point. She wasn't, but she was old. Okay. Anyways. I know, I'm digressing. Okay, so, um, but there's deception, deception, deception. And then Jacob goes to Laban, and he's like, man, your daughter's fine, okay? Like, Jacob's like, I like this girl, okay? Um, and <laughs> am I, was that, too, was that too far? Well, I mean, they're in the, they're in the Bible. It's like, and, it, and it, ta- it talks about how attractive she is. And then her sister, Leah, was weak eyes. That's what her name stands for. So I don't know what that means. Like she had like a lazy eye or something? I don't know. Um, okay, yeah. So we're painting the middle picture here. Um, so anyways, <laughs> now I have the picture of like Leah. And like, <laughs> so, so, so Jacob sets it up with Laban. He says, hey, I want to be your son-in-law and I'll work seven years for your younger daughter. Okay. And so he works seven years, and in that process, Laban begins to deceive him. Okay, the deceiver becomes the deceived, and Laban starts changing the wages and and just not really treating him um, with the utmost respect. But get this, homeboy gets to his wedding week. Okay, it's an exciting time. Yes, I finally get my wife after seven years of work. Like that's crazy. Okay, like buy an engagement ring, right? But seven years of work. He gets to it, and um, and then they go through the celebration, and then when it was time to um, for them to consummate the marriage, like they consummate the marriage, and then the craziest like line probably that you can read in the Bible, and there was Leah the next morning, like like surprise, like what? And so you're thinking to yourself, like, how does this even happen, right? How does it happen that he just got married to the the older sister without even realizing it? The only thing that I can like justify in my mind is that he might have had. One, one or two few many like wine glasses and that he didn't know what was going on. And then next morning he's like, you know, (laughs) yeah, 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 he didn't really love her. And and what's, but okay, but anyways, um, okay. So, uh, so he uh, gets deceived and then he comes to Laban and he's like, what have you done? Like, what is this that you've done, giving me your older daughter? And then Laban's like, hey, no big deal, man. That's what we do here. We have to give the oldest first, and then we're going to give the youngest. So give me seven more years of work, and I'll give you the youngest. Okay? <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, the, talk about crazy family dynamics, right? That This is garbage? Is that what you said? <laughs> it is garbage. I totally, totally agree. Okay, so um, so what happens is, is that he works another seven years. Okay, this dude was so in love with this girl that he worked 14 years for. While he's doing this, Laban's changing his wages. He's not treating him well. Um, Jacob is like being blessed by God like crazy. And so Laban's flocks are um, growing underneath uh, his stewardship. And so like crazy wealth is just being poured out, poured out, poured out. And then it gets to the point where he actually marries um, Rachel, who was the youngest, and um, and so then he continues to stay with Laban for a little while, but he couldn't trust him because Laban was being dishonest with him. And so then what happens is is that he decides that he's going to to deceive him and just leave town with his two daughters and now grandchildren. Just say 
peace without even letting him know. And so he gets on his camel with all of his kids and all of his stuff, okay, and, and he starts trolling out of town. Now, it obviously takes a lot of time to get a lot of flocks moving and stuff, so it's pretty slow movement. And so Laban comes after him. Now, get this. If the deception wasn't already bad enough, Rachel, I mean, not, yeah, Rachel, um, on the way uh, out, she decided, you know what? I really like those little trinkets on the shelf. I want to take one of those little Buddha dolls, okay? It's not really Buddha, but it's probably like um, uh, different types of uh, gods for, like, um, reproduction and stuff like that. But anyways, uh, so she takes these little statues, these these idols, okay, who were their fathers, okay? So then Laban's, like, ticked off because he's like, man, my statues are gone. And I don't know why he just turned to a New Yorker, but he, he did. Okay, he's a gangster now. He's like, where's my statues, okay? Um, <laughs> and so, so get this. This is what happens. He's, Jacob says, um, you know what? I don't have your statues, bro. Like, I'm tired of you. I'm tired of how you treated me. I'm tired of the fact that I had to work 14 years for these girls. I'm tired of all this, this, that, and the other. And like, basically just, like, basically rakes them over the coals in front of everybody. And he says, you know what? If you find, find the person who took it, then you can kill them. Now, Rachel. Easy killer. <laughs> easy killer. Yeah. Yeah. So you can. So Rachel. Rachel's like, oh, well, that's not a really good thing to say because she didn't let him know that she had taken the gods or like little idols. Okay? So you know what she does? Breaks them. She kills him. No. She marries marries the idols? Oh, buries. Yes. Okay. Okay. This is what she does. She sits down on her saddle that was on her little camel. Okay? So she's sitting in her tent. Okay? And... And, and she puts the idols underneath the saddle, okay? So she's hiding them. And her father searches other, uh, she, he searches um, Leah's tent, doesn't find him, searches some other tents, doesn't find him. Then comes to Rachel. And then he's like, he's like, um, I need to search your tent. So he's wandering around the tent trying to find the idols. And then he's like, get up, right? Now I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing here. But she tells him, I'm sorry, I can't get up. I'm on my period. Like, that's exactly what she said. And so it, it got a pass. Like, he was like, okay, like, don't get up, right? And, and in that, she deceived her father so that she could keep the little idols. Like, crazy. Okay, so you see the deception, deception, deception. Then, fast forward, okay? And, man, I'm telling you guys too many details in this story, and we're not going to have enough time to get through all this. Um, but then what happens is, is that uh, as he's leaving town, he knows, Jacob knows that he's going to have to pass through the land that Esau is in. You remember how Esau left off? What did he want to do? Kill him. Yeah, kill him. So he knows he's going to have to pass through. So, so the, the swindler that he is decided, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send him gifts, two caravans worth of gifts. So he's coming to me, I'm going to him, and I'm going to start sending gifts to try to buy him off. Okay? So I'm going to send my servants with all these little, like, you know, um, cattle, whatever. And I'm going to send them and say, your servant Jacob uh, gives you these gifts, right? And so that happens twice. Then, so crazy, even the way that he sets up his family shows the priority in what you're saying, that he loved Rachel more than Leah and loved Rachel's children more than Leah's children. Because what he did was he he was in front of them, at least he was in front of them. I was like... Like, this guy, I wouldn't be surprised if he was, like, already running town and letting everybody get slaughtered. But he was in front of them, then Leah and her children, then Rachel and her children. 
so that if he started going like like just crazy on them, then they could get away. You following me? Okay, so what happens is that he's coming up, Esau wanted to kill him, and then what happens is that he's sending stuff, and then <laughs> I think that this is so crazy because like it's so cool to see that, like how this paints in, in the Bible, but like he's coming up and he sees his brother with 400 dudes. All right? 400 bros, probably strapping, you know? Okay? And he comes up, and as he's walking up, he's bowing down to the ground to him multiple times. Bowing down to the ground. Bowing down to the ground. Like, this is not good. He's got 400 dudes. He's already gotten all my gifts, and he's still coming with 400 dudes. And guess what happens? Yes. Like, it's like the prodigal son. Like, it's almost exactly that image where, where he comes and runs and embraces him, and the Bible says that they cry. And that, that they're, they're, they're reconciled in that moment. And then they have this moment where Esau's like, man, I don't need your stuff. I'm already rich. And then, uh, Jacob was like, no, please take it. Like, I've stolen so much from you. Take it, take it, take it. And then he's like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll take it. <laughs> so he takes it, um, and then, you know, that's, that's the end of that story at that point. So, let me, um, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to fly through our points, and I'm going to try to point out different points of the story. Um, this was not my plan to share that much all, you know, at one time, but the Spirit's leading, so let's, let's rock and roll. So, trust is vital relationship. Obviously, Jacob was terrible at um, keeping trust and being a trustworthy uh, brother and son. Trust takes time to build, but just a moment of selfishness to break. Just a moment of selfishness to break. So that moment, well, especially the moment when he deceived his dad, and his brother and took the blessing, um, that was a moment where in just a moment of selfishness, not only on his part, Jacob's part, um, but his mom's part as well, that um, he broke that trust. And because of that, uh, Jacob broke the trust of Esau, um, and because of that, he broke his family. Okay? So I've already talked about this. Um, so the breaking of trust broke their family. Sorry, did I go too fast? Okay, so Jacob broke trust with Esau by stealing his birthright and blessing. So I already talked to you about that part. Um, we good? Good to move? Okay. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. This breaking of trust broke their family. So at that moment, like Isaac was left with, with Esau hanging out with him and then his deceptive wife and then his... Um, uh, youngest son has left town as he's on his deathbed. All because of the deception. All because Esau got to the place where he wanted to kill him. So in Proverbs 18, 19, it says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a, like a gate locked with bars. Do you guys understand what that's saying? Yes. And so, so who in here has been offended by one of your friends before? And who in here has offended a friend? Yeah. Okay. If you haven't, you will at some point offend either a friend or a family member, even if you're not trying to. And so it's so important for us as Christians to be really intentional about the way that we treat other people, like what we talked about last week of putting others first and what we're talking about this week of being trustworthy and to not throw somebody underneath the bus just because our feelings are hurt. Um, Because it's harder to win them back than a fortified city. You understand what that image is, right? Like a fortified city taking... Uh, an army and trying to to win it back. Of course, that's going to be an extremely hard task because it's fortified and, and, and it's hard to get in. So if somebody's hurt your feelings, 
Was it easy for you to like to let them back in, to trust them, like seriously hurt your feelings? Was it easy for you to let them back in, or did you guard yourself? Actually, me and her are still arguing. Okay, so you're still arguing. So you're still guarding yourself. That's normal and natural to guard ourselves when we've been hurt like that. And so... Um, so in this moment, you know, Jacob did so much damage to his relationship with his family that he had to leave town. And then he came back thinking that he was going to experience a fortified city and that his brother was going to try to attack him and kill him, that he did all those things in order to protect himself, um, which ultimately we'll see here in a second that uh, an important aspect of rebuilding that trust is forgiveness. So let's talk about five ways to rebuild broken trust. So when, the, when Jacob broke the trust and left town, um, or when you are with a friend and your trust is broken or you've broken their trust. Let's talk about specifics that you can do that Scripture lays out um, in order to rebuild that trust because, again, that trust is vital to that relationship. If you don't have the trust, then that relationship will not last. It won't. Okay. So, one, let your friends know how much you care. Now, sometimes some people are a little bit... Uh, they, they, they're wired a little bit differently and they're able to verbalize things a little bit easier. I personally have a hard time getting to that place. Um, but, but sometimes when we've been offended or I've offended somebody else, like let's say Aaron, okay? I've never offended Aaron before. Just, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but if I've offended Aaron, it does a world of good for us, not in the moment where I'm just trying to put a band-aid over and be like, I love you, oh. okay? But like after things of like, you know, Kind of simmered a little bit, all right? Got the beans on the back back of the stove. I'm like, okay, they're kind of coming down a little bit. Um, then to remind her and to share with her, like, babe, like, I love you and I care about you, right? And and that that's, that's one way of starting to rebuild that trust, that, like, there's been a rip or a fracture or a disjointedness, and that's kind of like helping set that bone back into place, okay? And so Jacob um, was trying to do that with, like, hey, like, you're important, like, I'm not coming to take over like you're like boss Esau because like you ultimately hold the power in this situation. And, and so I'm going to tell you, um, like I'm going to send these things and then Esau um, shows forgiveness and tells him how much he cares about him. So um, let your friends know how much you care. Number two, give your friends an open invitation to talk. Um, this does not mean to force them to talk because let's be real, when our feelings are hurt, sometimes it takes a little bit of time for us to get to the place where we actually want to engage that person again. And so, us shying away, if I've offended somebody and I shy away from them because I know that it's kind of awkward and that they don't really want to talk to me right now, could communicate to them, hey, like that, they, see, they don't care about the relationship. But if I've engaged them and said, I really care about you and I'm here to talk about it, I'm so sorry, but I'm not going to force you to talk about it or like try to push you to forgive me, but I'm here if you want to talk. That that's, that's an invitation to them Either they accept it at that point or they don't, and later they might accept it, or maybe they won't. That's relationships. Sometimes relationships get broken because of the things that we do. So give your friends an open invitation to talk. Uh, be trustworthy. And um, even Jesus submitted to this uh, trust test. Okay? So, so be trustworthy. And to be trustworthy is more than just saying, like, man, you just got to trust me, but really have nothing to back that up with. In addition to that, if it's a, it's a serious relationship like with me and Aaron, and I've broken her trust multiple times, and I just say, ah, oh, you should just trust me. Well, it's kind of hard to trust you because you've broken my trust multiple times, right? And so, so Jesus says, like, listen, like, like, look at my actions. So he says this in John 10, 37 through 38. Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I've done. Even if you don't believe me, 
then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and that I am in the Father. Basically, he's saying, like, actions speak louder than words. Look at my actions. And then judge whether I'm trustworthy. Judge whether what I'm saying is true. Because obviously it is. Okay? So be trustworthy. And then four, put an end to deception. So Jacob, at some point, needed to come to a place where he decided, like, wow, like Laban treated me terrible. He deceived me and gave me his older daughter, weak guys. And I don't mean that in a mean way. Don't, don't hear me when I say that. Like, I know. But that's what her name means. Anyways. Like, it is sad. I get it. Yeah, it is sad. But weak guys, yeah. I don't know what that means, but that's what the name means. Anyways. So, put an end to the deception. And so Jacob decided that, that he wasn't going to try to um, deceive um, Esau. In fact, one thing that I missed in this story, right before that encounter with Esau, Jacob wrestled with God or an angel. And, and, and they wrestled all through the night. And it's like this weird moment where he's like, he's like, tell me your name. And he's like, God, I'm like in a chokehold, you know. And, and then <laughs> God's like, like, why do you want to know my name? I'm not going to tell you my name. And then he wrenches his hip. Okay, and so Jacob lets him go because it hurt. And then uh, what's cool about this is they left that moment um, with a blessing from God because God was saying <coughs> that you have been, I can't remember the exact word, but basically he blessed him because he's been um, wise in the way that he has <coughs> wrestled with others. <laughs> Sorry, man, um, and wrestled with God. And so even up to this day, uh, Jewish people don't eat the sinew around the hip of the animal as a tribute to Jacob and his wrestling with God, which is kind of cool um, as a remembrance. Okay, anyways, but he had to put an end to the deception. And then, uh, so I talked about Jacob and Laban. Um, and then truth and trust go together, and Jacob didn't trust Laban, and I've already talked about that too. That one's not on your sheet, right? Okay, let's keep rolling. Forgive and be forgiven. So this is probably the biggest, um, biggest point in rebuilding trust. Because if we're not willing to forgive, guess what? Like, things aren't going to get better. There's a saying, unforgiveness or resentment um, is the poison that we drink hoping that it kills the other person. Very deep, yes. And so, so oftentimes we hold on to that because we're trying to prove to them or hurt them back because they've hurt us or whatever. But really, we're the ones that are suffering in that moment. And, and we've been given an example in Scripture of what true forgiveness looks like. And get this. Forgiveness is not forgive and forget. Okay? Forgive and forget doesn't exist. If you've been hurt, your brain is wired and God's given you the wiring so that you remember that you were hurt, so that you don't get put back in that position again and just keep getting hurt and keep getting hurt and keep getting hurt. There's not a forgive and forget. Now, over time, the memory becomes a little bit more dull. And with forgiveness, it can become almost non-existent. But it's still there. So, so... Forgiveness, I say that and I, I want to show that nuance because forgiveness is not, oh, it's okay, whatever, like I forgive you. Like what you did to me is okay. I just am going to forget it. Like we're denying the fact that you actually hurt my feelings. Let's just move on. That's not what it is, especially with the um, scenario. And I don't know all of your guys' stories in here, but if you've been seriously hurt by an adult in your life, abused or whatever, the, some of the worst advice that somebody can give you is to forgive and forget. That that hurt needs to be honored and understood. But even if somebody has abused you, we can still forgive them. I'm not I'm not saying that like that's easy, and I'm not saying that it's all clean and clear cut. 
But what I am saying is that that forgiveness releases us so that we can not necessarily restore that relationship, but it releases us so that we don't continue to hold on to that poisonous resentment. And so when we're able to forgive, we're also willing to, like hopefully, when we're a forgiving person, other people are willing to forgive us because remember, we're human and in relationship, we're going to hurt other people and we're going to need forgiveness. So we better be willing to give forgiveness because we're going to need it. So this is what um, Colossians 3.13 says, and I really like this. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You guys get what that's saying? Like, God's forgiven you. Jesus, even though you betrayed Him, even though these people were spitting in His face, even though He didn't deserve what He got, He continued to show forgiveness and compassion and mercy and ultimately brought about the the redemption, the, the saving of your soul to God if you place your faith in Him. And that, that when we experience that forgiveness, then like, like it's hard to, to say, to justify not forgiving somebody. It's hard to say, well, I'm not going to forgive them. Well, wait a second. But Jesus forgave you and continues to forgive you for multiple times that you sin against Him and rebel against His kingdom. So are you saying that you're, you're better than that? That you have the right to hold resentment? Because really, the person that holds the right to resentment would be Jesus. But Jesus is the very um, person who shows that forgiveness more than anybody else. And so if I'm trying to imitate him in the way that I do relationships, then obviously that component of forgiveness, I want to show that to other people. Okay. So, let's keep plowing. Forgiveness must be present for trust to be rebuilt. Are you guys still hanging with me? I know I'm moving quickly. I spent a lot of time telling you about Esau and Jacob. Okay. So... Thank you, thank you. Yeah, very good. Forgiveness must be present um, for trust to be uh, rebuilt. Now, you want to know the scientific reason for this? Because if there's not safety in the relationship, if there's not a component of safety here, then, then I won't get close to that person. I just won't. Like, we're, we're wired to protect ourselves in that moment. So if I'm not feeling safe, what I'm going to do is to fight, flight, or freeze. That's the way that God's wired us. And so, so there has to be a component of safety. So if I don't have that component of safety, if there hasn't been that level of forgiveness and trust, then, then it's going to be real hard for us to have a really good relationship, if not impossible, because I won't let myself get close. Okay? So that's why this trust and this forgiveness are, is so, so significant in any relationship that you have, including friendships. So Jacob and Esau, and I've already told you the second part of their story whenever they reunite and Esau showed him um, compassion and love and forgiveness. Um, <clears throat> so let's let's talk about the application. I have four questions for you guys. Okay, four questions. So one, who has broken your trust? We can all think of people in our lives that have hurt us, who has bro- who have broken our trust that we've trusted. Um, they would be a good friend or always there for us, and then they're not, or they say something, or they hurt us, or whatever. They bully us. Fill in the blank. Um, and and so we can all come up with probably more than just one person that's broken our trust. But think about who has broken your trust and then what needs to happen in order for you to forgive and begin to trust them again. This does not mean that you trust somebody that is abusing you and that you get close to them again. This does not mean that. What, what I'm talking about here is like friendship relationships and family relationships that are in generally healthy. You know, like not somebody that's abusing you. Um, that's a totally different thing. So, um, what do you need to do in order to forgive and to trust them again? And then, whose trust have you broken? Whose trust have you broken? We've all done it. Like, being in a relationship, there's no way not to do it. 
Like I've broken Aaron's trust. I don't I don't set out to do that. But like like I've said things that have been hurtful even in the past week. And I'm like, Jonathan, you're an idiot. Like I didn't mean it like that. But then it all of a sudden it comes across as hurtful and it and it hits at that trust. And so there has to be a mending there or that like chasm gets a little bit bigger every time. A little bit bigger and 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 then you're in a place where you never thought you would be. And so um, so we've all broken trust. Just being in a relationship was the point of that. Being in a relationship, you just will do it at some point. So last question, what steps do you need to take in order to rebuild that relationship? What steps do you have to take to rebuild that relationship? Now that takes humility, and I think that that can come back to that Colossians verse that I shared earlier. If you are a child of God, you have been forgiven of so much that you are not deserving of being forgiven of. And so when we keep the gospel at the forefront of our thoughts and at the forefront of our relationships, it, it, it colors our relationship in a different way. Because when I keep what God has done for me at the forefront of everything that I'm doing, then it's hard for me to, to show unforgiveness to somebody because I realize how God reached down into the muck of where I was at and continues to work on me even though I continually at times sin and rebel against him. And then he shows forgiveness, compassion, and love. Forgiveness, compassion, and love. So when I've experienced that, then it's a powerful motivator to show that to other people and to be humble in that. Even when I experience that with another person, another relationship, and there's forgiveness there, that's powerful enough in itself. But the gospel um, and what God has done for us is so transforming in the way that we do relationships. So as you guys are um, uh, heading back to school tomorrow, think about this. Like I'm going to make it really simple for you. There used to be these bracelets that said, what would Jesus do, or WWJD, okay? Some people still wear them. I don't even know where you would get them anymore, but anyways. Um, but there used to be those. So it's as simple as this. Like, literally, like you're walking down the hallway, like, literally, what would Jesus do? Like, think that. Like, not in a cheese ball way. I'm not talking about, like, what would Jesus do? Well, he would pray and he would do this thing. Like, not that, but like, literally, like, if Jesus was walking down your hallway, what would he do? He would probably say hi, yes. He would probably be very nice. He would probably, like, if people made fun of him because they're like, why is he wearing a robe? Like, he would probably <laughs> forgive them, right? Right? But, like, like, think about that because if I'm modeling the way that I do relationship as Jesus did relationship, then this stuff will come natural. So natural. And so we're going to continue to loop back around to that. We have one more week of this friendship series. We're looping back around to the gospel on all of these lessons because it's so significant. This is not some sort of psychological, uh, um, you know, coaching of here's how you have proper relationships. No. There's a deep, deep transformation when we keep the gospel in the center of our attention. And that transforms every part of our life, but especially our relationships. So let me pray for us, and then um, we'll be dismissed. Please help me pick up the uh, trash and stuff and put the Bibles back. And it, Also, I haven't said this, but there is a lost and found bench right there. So that stuff has sat there for a long time now. So please look at it and see if it's yours and take it if it is, because um, I don't know what I'm about to do with it, but it's probably going somewhere because I'm tired of it sitting there. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. Or you can go to All Things Possible, whatever it's called, right down here on 96. Okay, We're, we'll figure it out. Casey, you okay? Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
Okay. Well, let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Um, thank you for the time that you've given us together as a student ministry. I pray blessings over these students, and as they are um, living out relationships with their family and friends, that you would bless those relationships, that you would give them the ability to trust and to forgive and to show compassion and love and grace and to place those people above themselves and that they would just serve them as you've served us. Father, help us to keep the gospel in mind um, in everything that we do, and um, please allow it to transform everything that we interpret and everything that we are about in our lives, and that we would just bring glory to you in our relationships, um, and that people would experience your love um, because we're sharing the love that we've experienced with you. Um, Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,